Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Gary Chevalier. All right. Hey, you can applaud her for that. That was kind of fun. Um, hey, happy Memorial Day. Um, I, well, Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day is actually tomorrow. Uh, I hope that you have some plans together as a family just to hang out and just relax. And I hope you're looking forward to a day off. Uh, but I also want to say once again, thank you to you families who have served in our armed forces, especially to you families who've had a family member pay the ultimate price. Because it's because of your sacrifice and your willingness to serve that we get to enjoy the freedoms we have today, like the freedom of worshiping in a public place, just like we're doing today. So I want to say thank you again for those families who have served in our armed forces and for what you've done for us. All right, so today we're in week two of our three-part series called Yes, Jesus Did Say That, where we're looking at some of the things that Jesus Jesus said that, that we just wouldn't expect, that seem out of character for someone who came to share the love of God with a needy world, but yet Jesus did say them, and the reason he says them affects how we live our real lives. Now, for instance, the, the passage we're going to look at today, I remember uh, when I read it as a teenager, uh, I read it, I, I remember thinking, what? Right, did Jesus really say that? And, and, and I remember looking at it and being confused about what it could possibly mean, and so you know what I did? I just skipped it. Like I just, I just, I just, I just went on because I was, and I, and I thought, I remember thinking, you know, I know there's got to be some explanation for this, and I probably should go ask someone. I probably should go ask my pastor about it, but that seems like a lot of work. And so I just, I just skipped it. I just went on. And so in case you're tempted to skip it or skip a different passage and just move on to something easier, it is important that we take the time to understand what Jesus means because there's a reason why Jesus said it. And there's a reason why God, our Heavenly Father, made sure that it was included in the Bible. And so it's really important for us to understand, especially the passage we're going to look at today, uh, for two primary reasons. The first reason is that if we don't understand this passage, then we are not going to understand why some people are so hostile towards God, towards Jesus, and towards Christianity. I mean, have you ever been watching the news and thinking about... Why are these people so vehemently opposed to Jesus and so opposed to kids praying at a football game or the Ten Commandments being on display at a Capitol building? I mean, why is this causing them to freak out so much? Well, the reason is, it's not because they're, you know, so upset about, you know, separation of church and state, which, by the way, is not even in the Constitution, They'll say out loud that that's what they're upset about, but that's not really the underlying reason. The underlying reason why they're so upset is because of what Jesus says in this passage today. Second reason why it's really important that we understand this passage is that it helps us understand why some people make a commitment to following Jesus, but then one month later, Two months later or six months later, they're no longer following. I mean, I think we've all known people 
who, you know, went to church or they went to youth camp or they went to some sort of Jesus event and they came from it, out of it, and they said, I'm, I've made a decision. I'm changing my life and I'm following Jesus now. And as Christ followers, we're so excited because we know how transformative a decision like that can be. But then, one month later, two months later, six months later, they're no longer following. Well, why? What happened? Jesus explains to us why in this passage. So we need to understand, this, understand what this passage says so we can understand these sorts of things. So what is it that Jesus says that seems so out of place but yet gives us such insight into these sorts of things? Well, it's found in Matthew chapter 10. So go ahead and open up your sermon notes there or if you have your Bible, open up your Bible or if you want to use your Bible on your phone, then do that. But it's in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, here's what it says. And this is Jesus talking. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. What? I mean... That seems so out of character. That doesn't even sound like Jesus, does it? But it's right there in black and white. Or depending on your Bible, it might be red. But it's, but it's right there. So what in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, let me give you the context. Now, it'll make it a little bit easier to understand. The context is that Jesus is about to send his disciples out two by two to go and share the good news with the surrounding uh, people in the, in the communities and towns. And so he's sending them, as he sends them out, he warns them that, hey, not everybody is going to be as excited about me being the Messiah as you are. He's warning them because he wants them to understand that there might be some people that just flat out get mad about what they're going to say. Because, you see, look, the people of, of Jesus' day, including the disciples, they all believed that when the Messiah came, that he was going to overthrow the Romans, was going to usher in the golden age of Israel, and they would start a global peace like the world has never seen. That's what they thought was going to happen. But Jesus is telling them, like, it's not going to go down like that. That there are going to be people who are going to just flat out reject that the Messiah could actually be a carpenter from Nazareth. That not everybody is going to believe. And, that, and it's, that's going to cause tension in some families. Like, it's going to cause friends to be divided. And so things aren't going to go like they think that they're going to go. So, and this is what I want you to write this down. This is your first feeling of the day. This passage describes the effect of his coming, not the purpose of his coming. See, the purpose of Jesus' coming was so that he could provide forgiveness for sins of the world by dying on a cross. But the effect would be that some families would be divided on who Jesus really is. Because some will say he's the son of God, and some people will say that he's not. In fact, even the family of Jesus 
was divided on who he really was. Look what the Bible says in John chapter 7, verse 5. It says this, Not even his brothers had faith in him. Not even the brothers of Jesus. At this stage of the game, not even they, they did not even believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Now look, let's pause right there for a second. Let, let, let's give Jesus' brothers a break, okay? I mean, look, I understand why they had trouble believing that Jesus was who he says he is, because look, let me ask you this. What would it take for you to believe that your brother was the Son of God? I mean, you ever think about it like that? I mean, what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the Son of God? I mean, so I, I can understand his brothers because that's the dilemma that they were in. Now, so at this time, his brothers don't believe. And the Bible says that Jesus, in another passage, says that Jesus has five brothers. But here's eventually what happens. Eventually we know that two of his brothers do become believers in Christ. Their names are James and Jude. And the reason we know they become believers is because they write two books of the Bible, creatively titled James and Jude, right? Yeah. So we know that they eventually become believers. And, and, and honestly, if you've ever wondered about Jesus and is he who he says he is, if you've ever wrestled with doubt about Jesus, I'm telling you, I think one of the most compelling pieces of evidence that Jesus is who he says he is, is the fact that two of his own brothers became Christ followers. Because again, what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the son of God? I mean, these two guys, they grew up with Jesus. They saw him live his life. They saw him die on the cross. They saw him rise from the dead. And they believed. They believed. Now, we know that Jesus had a total of five brothers and at least two sisters. We know that James and Jude believed. Now, we don't know if his other brothers and sisters believed or not. We don't know that they didn't. I mean, we just don't know. History doesn't tell us. I mean, I tend to think they probably did, but we don't know that for sure. But, again, the fact that, they do, that two of them did believe, I think is one of the most compelling pieces of evidence that Jesus really is the Son of God. It's incredible. Now, my, my, my point in telling you all that is to you know, get back to where we're at, is that even Jesus experienced division in his own family. Because at this time, when Jesus is doing the talking, his mom believes that he's the son of God. His dad believes that he's the son of God. But none of his brothers or sisters do. So even Jesus' own family is divided. And that's exactly what Jesus said would be the effect of his coming, that it would divide families. So now that you understand a little bit about what he says, why did Jesus say it? Because look, we, we understand we want to understand the why behind the what. So why did Jesus say what he said? Two big things. Here's the first one. Write this one down. Number one is this. The reason, first reason why he says it is because, number one, he warns me that following him might cause conflict at home. The reason he says what he says is because he wants to warn me that following him might cause conflict at home. One of the biggest reasons why Jesus says he didn't come to bring peace but to bring a sword was to warn you and me that 
it might cause division in our family, that perhaps not everyone in my family will be as excited about my decision to follow Jesus as I am. And there might be some in our family who would never choose to believe. And that can cause conflict if we're not careful. And I know it does, because I, I, I know some of you are in this boat, because I know some of you, you, you believe but your spouse doesn't. And that causes tension. It makes it difficult because more than anything, you want your husband and you want your spouse to believe. You want your husband or wife to believe because, you know, first off, because you want them to go to heaven when they die. I mean, that, like, that's the biggest thing. But second of all, you want to be able to share that common belief with the person in this life that you love the most. And because they don't believe yet, like, that causes tension in your family, especially when you leave to go to church and he or she does not. So here's what I would say to you. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through because he experienced the exact same thing in his own family. And the way that Jesus' brothers were eventually won over was by how Jesus lived his life. And I'll tell you the same thing. What will win your husband over or your spouse over is not your word. So you don't have to be pushy. You don't have to you know, be argumentative. You don't have to be any of that. What will be the most compelling is how you live. Because how you live speaks louder than your words ever will. In fact, I'll, I'll say this. Look, if, if you have kids who don't believe, or parents who don't believe, or in-laws who don't believe, you don't have to get into an argument or debate with them. You just need to live your life in front of them. Because how you live will be the most compelling evidence that they'll ever see. And who knows? My hope is, is that how you live will convince them and that one day they would choose to cross the line and become a Christ follower as well. Okay? So that's really the first reason why Jesus tells us what he tells us. Here's the second reason why. Second reason, Jesus says, is that he wants me to know that there'll be a cost to follow him. He wants me to know that there is a cost to follow him. He wants you to know what you're getting into before you commit. Look, because Jesus doesn't want you to say, well, golly, I wish I had known this before I made a decision to become a crossover because I didn't expect this kind of difficulty. I didn't expect this kind of conflict. I don't know, Jesus, he wants you to know what you're getting into before you get into it. That's why some people, when they make a commitment to follow Christ, they follow him for you know, one month or two months or six months, and then they stop following because when the, t when the going gets tough, they just quit going. Because they did not understand that there is a cost to following Jesus. That, that it can be difficult. And so Jesus wants you to count the cost before you make that commitment. Now look, let me just say this. Because look, I've been following Jesus for a long time now. And I, I, I can tell you, from the perspective of a longtime Christ follower, that the benefit of following Jesus 
so far outweighs anything that you would ever give up or any conflict you might experience or any tension that you might ever go through. The following Jesus so far outweighs all that that the decision to follow him would be similar to being willing to give up eating Brussels sprouts for a lifetime so you could eat bluebell. And it would have the same health benefit. Right? right? I mean, so if you could make a commitment and you have the option for you, I can give up eating Brussels sprouts so that I could eat blue and it'd be just as good for me, what would I pick? Well, duh, all day long, right? Bluebell all the time. Because look, I'm telling you, the benefits of following Christ and, and what you'd have to give up, the benefits of following Jesus, so far outweigh anything. The joy that comes from knowing him, the guidance he gives you in rearing kids, the healing he can bring in your heart when other people say things or do things that, that cause wounds, the, the peace that he can bring even when you're going through a storm in life, the love he gives you for other people the ability he gives you to respond with kindness when other people are, are, are you know, speaking in hate or spite. All those things that he can do in your life, they so far away anything that, look, from the perspective of a longtime Christ follower, I would tell you race to become a Christian as fast as you possibly can. Because Everything that you'll experience is so much better than any minor trouble or difficulty or tension you might go through. It, it, it's so incredible. Now, it might take a while to understand. It takes time to understand all those benefits and to see them play out in your life, but they are there and they will come. So look, so if you've been thinking about becoming a Christ follower for a while, let, let me say this. There is a cost to be paid. Jesus will ask you to make some changes. There will be some things that you'll have to give up. There will be some things that you'll have to start doing. But I'm telling you, the benefit so far outweighs any price that you'd have to pay that it would be like willingly giving up a lifetime of eating vegetables with no butter and no cheese so I could eat bluebell. I mean, it would be that good. So if you've never become a Christ follower and you're ready to make that decision and you're ready to count the cost knowing that there, there'll be some changes, some things to do, then there's a prayer. It's in your message notes. I want you to take a second. I want you to pray that prayer right now. Even though it might bring tension, even though it'll be a cost at some point, I'm telling you, it's, just, it's, it's, it's so worth it. And who knows? Maybe the way you live and the changes that your friends and family see in you would be the thing that causes them to choose to believe at some point in the future as well. Okay. Let, let, let's ask a few clarifying questions so we can see how this stuff plays out in our own lives. Okay, here's the, here's the first clarifying question. These are on the back of your message notes. Here's the first one. Well, how should I respond to others, especially family, if they are antagonistic about my faith. Well, I mean, I've already hinted about this. 
But the very worst thing you could do is to be antagonistic back. And Jesus tells us in John 13, 34, and 35, and this is not your message notes, so you just write that down. It's in John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so Jesus is telling us, like, the way that we respond to people is by loving them. Because here's what you got to understand. People don't become Christ followers because they're argued into it. People become Christ followers because they are won over. And how are they won over? They're, one, they're, not, look, they're not won over by getting into a debate. They're not won over by being judged. They're not won over by you proving that they're wrong and you're right. People are won over by love. And that's what will win them over. So for you, if somebody gets antagonistic, just respond to them with kindness. Be patient. Be loving. Because that's what eventually will win them over. Don't take the bait and get into an argument. It'll get you nowhere. And that's not what Jesus would want you to do anyway. Okay? All right. Here's the second thing. Second question. Well, all right, Pastor Mike, well, why are some people so opposed to Jesus? I mean, what's the deal with that? Uh, this, is, this is such an important question to ask. Look, the real reason why people are so opposed to Jesus is because this. It's because Jesus is mutually exclusive. It's because Jesus is mutually exclusive. What I mean by that is that when Jesus says that he died on a cross so that he could forgive us of our sin, what he's saying is, is that there is no other way that sin could be forgiven. And so when Jesus says that he died to forgive us of sin, that means that there's no other way that sin could be forgiven. That means that if Jesus is the way, that Buddha can't also be the way. That Confucius can't also be the way. That Allah can't also be the way. That any of these other world religions could also be the way. That believing in Jesus mutually excludes all of these other world religions and all of these other options. That if when Jesus says that in order for sins to be forgiven, that a sinless person must die to provide forgiveness for everyone else, then who else qualifies other than Jesus? All the other world religions were started by a person who at one point in his or her life sinned. So they're disqualified. And so following Jesus is a mutually exclusive commitment. So saying yes to Jesus also means I'm saying that none of these other world religions could possibly be the way, which is what our politically correct, everybody gets a trophy, tolerant world says is so intolerant. That, I mean, that's why they're ready to brawl about Christianity. It's not that they hate Christians. It's that they can't, they can't tolerate that Christianity says that it's the only way. And personally, I believe 
that they're feeling some inner conviction about their own life, and it comes out as anger. So, but Christianity is a mutually exclusive statement, which is, you know, why some people become so opposed to it. Okay, here's the last one, last question. Number three. Well, then how, how then is Jesus the Prince of Peace? If he came to not bring peace but a sword, well, then what about the passages in the Bible that call Jesus the Prince of Peace? Or what about when the angels, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, they said that his birth would bring peace on earth, goodwill toward men? Well, what about that? Well, the Bible's clear in other places that it says that before you become a Christ follower, that you are in opposition to God. That before sins are forgiven, your life is in opposition to God. And that until you ask Jesus to come into your life, before you accept Jesus, you have in fact rejected Jesus. And that puts you in opposition to God. But when you accept Christ into your life and his forgiveness, that releases that tension and you have a relationship with God here on this earth and you'll go to heaven when you die. And so that brings peace between you and God. And so that's what he's saying. And even deeper than that, when you go through a storm in life, and you go through a difficult time, or you go through a trial, or you go through a trouble, when you have Christ in your life, it allows you to go through that with a sense of peace and a sense of calm. Even when things around you are totally chaotic, and it's a sense of peace and calm that an unbelieving world simply can't understand. And so in that regard, Jesus truly is the prince of peace because he can bring that kind of peace into your life if you will let him especially during those storms in life so i'd like you to bow your head close your eyes let me pray for all of us lord jesus we just come to you today saying first off thank you for the peace that we get to enjoy here in the united states because of the sacrifice of so many. But Jesus, we also want to say thank you for the peace that we get to enjoy as Christ followers for your sacrifice for so many. That your sacrifice on the cross allows us to have peace with our Heavenly Father and allows us to have peace in our hearts when it seems like everything is crumbling around us. And I pray that you would help us to respond to other people, when there's tension and when there's conflict, when people want to argue, that you would let us respond in love, that you would let us respond with kindness, that you would let us respond in a way that would help us set the example and win them over by how we live. Because it's what you did, and that's what you would want us to do. So we love you. Help us to live for you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.